You're listening to the Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame podcast, hosted by Taylor Allen. Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Allen, and this week's guest is the greatest baseball player to have ever come out of Manitoba, Corey Koski. So Corey Koski spent nine seasons playing Major League Ball, seven of those years with the Minnesota Twins before playing a year with the Toronto Blue Jays and finishing his career with the Milwaukee Brewers. So he's talked all about his nine-year Major League Baseball career, playing with superstars such as David Ortiz, Johan Santana, and the late, great Roy Holiday. Also talked about representing Canada at the World Baseball Classic and talked about growing up in the small town of Enola, Manitoba. So he was not a big city boy by any means, but he grew up in Enola, played many different sports, including volleyball and hockey, which he excelled at and actually had offers to play both those sports after high school as well. But he opted to choose baseball, and clearly that worked out very well. So we talked about his decision to pursue his baseball dream and so much more on episode 12 of the Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame podcast. baseball wasn't originally your first sport you were a hockey and a volleyball guy so maybe take us through um takes through that and what kind of made you eventually decide to pursue your baseball career yeah so uh the three thousand people on NOLA number is very generous there's probably 26 homes uh in NOLA between 26 and 50 homes in NOLA oh well we basically have there's one street, and obviously I didn't live in Anola. I lived three miles. I live in the suburbs of Anola. I lived three miles uh, south of Anola, um, and so I lived on a farm, born and raised on a farm. And, and you know, I grew up playing hockey. Hockey was my first dream. Like every Canadian, I wanted to play in the NHL, play for Team Canada. I thought that would be just unbelievable. Uh, my best sport was volleyball. I was pretty good at volleyball because I could jump, and so I really loved volleyball because it just because I was good at it and I really enjoyed playing volleyball and now and that really was my best sport uh and hockey I played because everybody else played and I just I loved hockey and I played baseball in the summer because it was kind of a time between hockey season and there was hockey season volleyball and then there was nothing really to do between volleyball season hockey season again so base, baseball is really just a gap filler, and we just played maybe six to ten games a year. Oh wow! Uh, in in Anola, so as I was growing up, just maybe six to ten games a year, and maybe practice once or twice a week. You know, then as I got older, I played. You know, went from there to like the Springfield Hawks, played a little, or sorry, Springfield Braves, played in a little, little more competitive. Started playing against some of the city teams. And then when I got older from there, I went and played for the Elmwood Giants. So I played for Elmwood probably when I was about 15 is the first year I played for Elmwood. So I think I played for 15, 16, 17. Uh, so I played junior baseball and a little bit of senior baseball with, with, El- with Elmwood. And at no point in my early you know, youth athletic experience did I envision myself playing baseball. It was either hockey or volleyball, mm-hmm. and I had I had offered I had opportunity to go. I actually had an offer to go to UMD. Uh, I got offered a full ride scholarship uh, because their goalie just signed with the Devils, and they were panicked and they scouted me the year before, and they, they offered me to go to UMD. I filled with all the paperwork, and I didn't run my SATs, and so that was the reason I didn't go to UMD to play mm-hmm. baseball. I mean, sorry, sorry, play play hockey. Hockey, right, yeah. Yeah, and so I went and I went back to school, and I was supposed to play volleyball for University of Manitoba, and I went to Garth and said, look, I need to get this, this hockey bug out of my system. I want to play hockey one more year, so I played another year of junior hockey. Didn't have any offers. And then I decided to go play volleyball. And so my decision was made. I was going to go play volleyball for the University of Manitoba and go to school and kind of do that stuff. And then out of the blue, a baseball guy, a coach from Boone, Iowa, called me every single day starting, you know, in the middle of uh, middle of May and wanted me to come to play baseball in Boone, Iowa. And 
I told him, no, not interested, no, not interested. And he called me every single day until I said yes. Was was that the only and, baseball uh, offer that you that you had at that point in your in your career? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so it was in the junior college in, in, in just a little town outside of Ames, Iowa, and I went down there and I played. So I took I took out a student loan and went out and played college baseball in Boone, Iowa. No idea why I did it. No idea how I did it. <laughs> But I went to it. I just remember just being so torn because I wanted to play volleyball. Volleyball. All my best friends in the world were playing volleyball. Uh, I had a lot of good relationships with you know my buddies and my and girls there too. And I just remember being torn. Not, and I and I committed to guard home. I was going to play, but something deep down, you know, I wanted to play volleyball. So I just went outside. I mean, sorry, baseball. And I just remember that this, that night I was just so torn. I went outside, uh, sat under the stars, and just you know prayed. And I was just said, "What do I do here? Uh, you know, Lord, I just think I need this is this is a tough tough decision. Do I go down and, and leaving home is just completely out of my comfort zone? Going down into Boone, Iowa to play baseball is not is not something that you would that I would see myself doing." Mm-hmm. So I went there and I prayed and I woke up the next morning and just, you know, I just felt this, this, I just needed to go play baseball. And I, I told my mom and dad, I said, you know what, I want to go to Boone, Iowa and try this baseball thing. And they're like, okay, how are you going to pay for it? So I went on and got a student loan and went. Wow. Cause you, you had a, a scholarship to the U of M for volleyball, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. You know, you use that, you can use that term kind of loosely because I don't know really what that meant. Uh, you know, because I guess you know, they, I think I got some money for books and stuff like that. Mm. So I don't know if it was a true like you know, in 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 the states they talk about this full ride scholarships where you get your tuition paid for, you get your books, you get room and stuff. So right. I can't remember, but I, I I think I remember some money. Uh, well, I'd get some money from the University of Manitoba to play. Uh, so I I don't know if what that looked like, and it, even if he called that a scholarship mm. back in those days. So when it came to making this decision, did it cross, was playing professional ever a thought in your mind? Like, you know what, my best shot at going pro in one of these sports is baseball. So even though it might not make sense financially or whatever, screw it, let's go for it. Or is it just, you know what, this sounds like a cool opportunity and we'll see what happens kind of thing. And you just went with it. And I mean, thankfully it worked out. Yeah. The professional rank, that never crossed my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what crossed my mind was I played base. I played hockey almost every day for my whole young life. I played I and I played volleyball almost twice a day for the last like six years, and I haven't really played baseball at all. And I was like, you know what? I, I'm I'm afraid I might get a little burnt out of of this volleyball thing. So I'm gonna go. Let's. I think I should go try playing baseball because baseball is the only sport that I haven't really played. Mm-hmm. So you so you choose the baseball route. Go down to Iowa, but at what point was there a certain point or moment when you were down there where you kind of realized, like, you know what, this is actually going really well, and maybe I can make a career out of this? Did the coach come up to you and no. say something, or was there no. some game or? A... No, the thought of actually. It never really crossed my mind, and I don't know if I was just naive at, the, at that point or what. I just I played. I was just playing, uh, and I was enjoying the college experience. Um, and after the season was over, I didn't want to go back to Boone, Iowa, so I wrote, you know, twenty or thirty letters to colleges. Um, you know, Pepperdine, the Pepperdines of the world, the U, uh, LA's of the world, all these schools. They basically, hey, look, I played volleyball. I was this and this and this uh, as a volleyball player, and I, you know, and I played hockey, and I, so I wrote to hockey schools anywhere that had baseball, had the baseball and volleyball, or baseball and hockey. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote all these guys to try to get in, and there was one school who wasn't even on my list sent me a letter, and they were four year school out of Augusta, Georgia, I think it was. Um, and 
you know, that was the only only letter that I got, and I did I just really really didn't want to go back to Boone, Iowa, and so I ended up going to uh, going back home. Uh, they had I had a tumor in my shin that they removed. Uh, it was a benign tumor, and that's kind of when the Canada Games uh, were was that year. And I'm like, look, I, if I because there's co- there's college schools looking there. And I said, if I have a chance to go anywhere, I need to play in these Canada games. And so, you know, the Gordy, Gordy uh, Ledahowski and uh, Morgan DePena were the coaches at that time, and they had to make a decision if they're going to keep me on the roster and or um, not put me on the roster. Mm-hmm. And they put it because, you know, depending on how quickly my, my shin heals and would I be ready, would I be all this stuff. So they made the decision to put me on the roster, and from there, I got an opportunity to play for. Uh, I got to go to the NBI, which is a National Baseball Institute, and play there. And I always wanted to play there because I had a couple of guys that I played with in on my Elmwood Giants team, and this, in which they were NBI guys, and they always had like they come back, they had cool gear, cool swag, and I just I wanted to go play for the NBI. Mm-hmm. And so after the Canada Games, I got a phone call and said, hey, this is um, Ed Norton, and, uh, you know, would like you to come to play for the NBI in Vancouver. And I was I was all over that. I was so excited. Took the train out to Vancouver to uh, for me to play baseball there. And that guy took your game to the next level, and which led to you getting um, drafted by the, by the Twins? Yeah, that's the year I got drafted by the Twins. You know, John Hart was a coach there. You know, he helped me. He really helped me refine a lot of components of, of my game. Uh, taught me really how to throw. Uh, worked on through batting practice for hours and hours and hours every day. And we just hit. We hit and we hit and we hit. And we did ground balls and we threw. So, um, and we lived in Wally, B.C., in which Wally was a not a good a uh, good area of Vancouver, mm-hmm. and so it was uh, quite the um, quite the exciting year. So, take take me through the day where you found out you got drafted by the Twins. I mean, you get picked in the twenty sixth round. So I'm assuming there's real, real, real no guarantees there. But do you remember where you were when you found out, or what your reaction was? Did you did you, uh, when you found out, like you know what? I know I got picked late, but I'm still going to make this work and make it to the MLB. Or, or what well, was your reaction? Yeah, I had I had expectations of being uh, drafted in the first ten rounds uh, because there was you know the Baseball America had me slotted uh, as one of the top three Canadians, um, and so I thought I would dra- I would have been drafted in the first on the first day. The Marlins supposedly was going to draft me. Um, the Blue Jays I guess had some interest, and I was. You know, so I had to expect. So the the money in that first day is 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 pretty significant. So in my mind, I already had that day. Uh, I I already had my money. I had that the money spent. I'm going to do this and this and uh, and then I didn't get any phone calls day one. And so the next day, I got a phone call from Howie Norsetter, uh, scout for the Twins, and said, Hey, Corey, you know. Uh, Congratulations, the Minnesota Twins drafted you in the 26th round, and uh, yeah, we'd like to. What's your interest in signing? I'm like, yeah, I'm interested in signing. And he goes, look, I get you're disappointed. You thought you're going to go in the first day, the first round, but you know it is what it is, and this is kind of where, where we're at. It doesn't make sense for me to come out and try to sign you. And so, and then I, from there, I, you know, I was like the first week of June, and so I went home uh, for that month. And, you know, he came out there and and um, negotiated and, you know, I signed a deal. I think I signed for two or four or five thousand dollars U.S. Uh, so, you know, that's like ten thousand dollars Canadian at the time. Mm-hmm. So I, and uh, and then I got some scholarship money there. They had like this pool of money for scholarship. So I got some money just in case I wanted to go back to school, and it was like a thousand dollars a year or whatever that was, and and I signed. And so then the next process was okay. Now we need to get you a work visa and all that stuff, and to get you to in so I can play in Elizabethan. 
And so I went back out to Vancouver to train and to do all that stuff to prepare because I just there was no place really for me to do anything in Manitoba. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I went back out to Vancouver and I was with that, you know, I had a girlfriend at the time uh, who is now my wife. And, and I just went out there and trained and worked uh, waiting for my work visa. I got my work visa and I went down to Elizabeth, Tennessee. And that was their, one of their minor league teams or, or, or camps? Yeah, that was a short season A. Yep. Mm. And you spent five years in the minors, right? Yeah, so through the minors, I went through, I started in Elizabeth, Tennessee. I had a really bad year there. And the next spring training, I got a phone call before I went into the next spring training. And, you know, my scout was saying, hey, look, this is a big spring training for you. Uh, you know, just work hard or do whatever. And so, you know, the writing, the, between the lines, basically, I'm, take, cause I'm taking a, a work visa space spot because when I first started playing in the Twins organization, Major League Baseball, you can only have like 24 or 32 foreign work visas in your minor league program. So I was taking somebody's uh, spot. Okay. So for them to draft a Canadian or bring in a Dominican or Venezuelan or anybody that's that's not American, it was a significant commitment for, for a team and for an organization. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I guess I had a pretty short leash and I didn't know that time. Like now I look back at it and obviously, um, yeah, I could, I could, now I can see the, why I made that phone call. Uh, but you know, I go down to my first spring training and I walk in the dressing room and there is, you know, 250 guys lined up and guys all the way from, you know, who's played in the big leagues. And there's guys playing triple A who's got three or four years in the big leagues. Now we're playing triple A baseball rookies 19 year old rookies so you got any guys from the ages of 19 to you know 32 years old in, in that locker room mm-hmm. and it was very overwhelming um and didn't really know anybody I just knew a couple of my teammates from last year and you know basically i just like well you know what i can't really control this uh, but i gotta do what i can control and i can just work harder than everybody else so I always would get on the early bus and go to the cages before everybody else would show up. Uh, and then after the practice, I'd go back in the cages and, and, and hit. And uh, one of the, the coaches that were in the cages early waiting for everybody else, uh, after about a week of me doing this every day, he came over and says, hey, do you want, would you like me to throw to you? I'm like, yeah, I would love it. And he ended up being the hitting, co- hitting coordinator. And basically I just was like um they started hitting throw to me and he what he told me was clicked because I never heard timing or anything like that before hitting mm-hmm. and he just what he told me just clicked for me and I just I was this started to hit because I was really struggling at the beginning of the, the camp and he just working with him every day this kind of this ticking this tick tock and the timing of a swing just just really clicked for me Mm -hmm. and i started hitting everything hard and and then i ended up having a really good year in fort wayne indiana that year i think i hit like 310 with i don't know 17 18 home runs and went from a uh, a suspect to a prospect (laughs) and i I think it was i was on the midwest league all-star team that year and i just ended up having a really really good year that year and from there i went to fort myers and then from fort myers to new britain and New Britain to Salt Lake City, and Salt Lake City to the big leagues. Because mm-hmm. for people that don't know, the, the 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 minors for baseball isn't exactly very glamorous. Like lots of long bus rides and stuff. So at any point during that, were you like, man, is this is this real really worth it? Or the whole time, were you like, you know what, this this is gonna be worth the grind one day? So I gotta keep doing this, and one day I'm finally gonna get that phone call to get called up to the bigs. Yeah, you know. <laughs> All the stuff they talk about in the media and the 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 the, the, the movie tizing of just that it just doesn't happen. You just go out and you're just playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't think about okay, this is a grind, this sucks, and I'm gonna, you know, it's just you just you're out there, you're playing. You love the game of baseball, and you're just playing. You know, I was 23, 24 years old, and it's just what I knew, and this is what I did. I never really thought about getting to the big leagues, and ever. It's just I just went out there and played, mm-hmm. and we had, you know, I saw. When the first time I I recognized that hey I'm actually pretty close to getting to the big leagues, 
was when my teammates and when I played in double A baseball, there was guys who I just put, would just start against us. And then like two days later, they're playing in the big leagues and you're starting to see this and you're like, you know what? This is, this is a reality. I could, I could potentially play in the big leagues because guys that I'm doing better than are playing in the big leagues and having some success. So I might have a chance here. Mm-hmm. So really when I was in double A baseball, it was kind of really the first, um, really eye opening. It's like, you know what? I, you know, I, I might have a shot here. And then when I played AAA, when I because when I played AAA, I was I played with guys who played two three years in the big leagues, and they're like, dude, you got you got a chance to do something special in the big leagues. Uh, keep on doing what you're doing, and you know this. They would mentor me through a lot of this, um, and so it was, you know. Then then you know I got to big leagues, and then obviously it became a reality. Mm-hmm. What was that moment like where you finally got that phone call? Or maybe it wasn't a phone call, I don't know. But where you find out that you're finally going to get to pull on that Twins jersey in a regular season game, get called up to the big leagues? Yeah, I, I got I got pulled into the office. Um, it was like one of our last games of the season. It was a Salt Lake City, and Phil Roof came in the office, and he goes, you know, Phil's like, you know, hey, Corey, you know, congratulations. You have a September call-up, um, you know. Here's your travel arrangement. You know, go pack your bags. You're going to the big leagues. And so, uh, you know, thinking about from a, a AAA manager standpoint, that's going to be really cool to be able to tell somebody that they're going to the big leagues for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyways, so I went, um, you know, I called my wife. Uh, or no, she, was, she would have been my fiance at the time. And uh, said, hey, I'm going to the big leagues. You know, the Twins play in. Anaheim, and I fly out at Exos, me and Chris Latham, you know, got on a plane and met the team in Anaheim, and um, from there, we you know, went from Anaheim to Chicago to home, and uh, Shannon, uh, her mom flew down and met her, and then Shannon drove our truck uh, to, um, Drove, drove to from Salt Lake City to uh, Minneapolis for my uh, kind of my home kind of quote unquote home opener, mm-hmm. and so my parents came down and my sister came down and all that stuff. I heard. Um, and Shannon's parents, uh, my my wife's parents, came down for that too. Awesome! I'm putting a really cool experience. Um, I I kind of heard a funny story about how for your first game, I'll, I'll let you tell it, but basically. Um, you took out some money before the game, and uh, it didn't last too long. So if you know what I'm talking about, maybe I'll let you carry on and uh, take over that story. Yeah, so when, obviously when I got called up, I said, you know, we're going to the big leagues, and I took out $100 because $100 is a lot of money. And I said, you know, I'm going to big leagues, and you have a lot of money. And I said, I took out $100. And so I get to the airport, and we get we get a cab. Uh, we flew into Orange County, and I guess Orange County to the Anaheim Stadium, is like a $96 cab ride. <laughs> and, you know, I had Chris Latham with me. And I'm like, dude, the guy was like, okay, it's $96. And I looked at Chris. And I'm like, hey, you got any money? You can split this? And he's like, I, he's like, I ain't got no money. And so <laughs> I was like, great. So I gave the guy $100. And it was only a $4 tip. Mm-hmm. And uh, the guy was mad. He's like, "What?" He goes, "No, I didn't have good service. You give me." I was like, "Dude, that's all the money I have." <laughs> and so I was like, um, I was "Like, man, the big leagues are. I'm not gonna be able to afford to play in the big leagues because it's hundred dollars. I got no money, so I was all stressed out. <laughs> didn't know kind of where I, what I was gonna do with for money. And so, anyways, when he walked in there, uh, Ramsey Cratley was a, you know, met me like a couple hours later and gave me the meal money and. Oh gosh, that was like a six seven day uh, was six seven day road trip, and so and I think back at that time it was like eighty dollars a day for meal money, so you know, that was a, a big big envelope of cash. Mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> Do you have a certain uh, moment or memory that that was like your welcome to the big leagues moment? I mean, maybe that story is it right there, but maybe from a game or something, a picture you face where you're like, oh man, now I'm playing. I'm playing with the big boys now. Do a certain moment like that. Well, a couple, a couple uh, highlights uh, for me in my career was being a part of Eric Milton's no hitter. I played third base for that game, and it was my 
second year, my first or second year in the big biz. I can't, I can't really remember. Uh, but we were just, we weren't, a, we were not a good team mm-hmm. and we didn't have much excitement and to be there and be on the field to have that much excitement for a game uh, and to be a part of no hitter was really cool. Cause um, yeah, like, like you and said, the, Oh, sorry, go ahead. And then and I said this, a, a second, uh, the second one, another real kind of cool part for, for, for me was the first time we clinched. And we got to the playoffs. Uh, that was uh, that was fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we clinched in Chicago that year. And so just being able to celebrate through that, and then winning uh, an actual series in the playoffs. You know, winning a game five against the the Oakland A's was a really really cool cool experience because nobody thought that we had any chance against these guys, and we won the first series. Mm-hmm. And so we took them to five games, and we went. Then we were in the ALCS, and I thought we, you know, we we beat Anaheim, and Anaheim playing was completely dead. Game one, and in game two, their batches came alive, and they went home, and they swept us at home, and that gave us then we're there. We're not, we're not in the uh, World Series anymore. And Anaheim, Anaheim ended up winning that year. They just got hot at the right time. Mm-hmm. But um. So yeah, that was the 2002 season, but it was the year before where, although you guys didn't make the playoffs, you guys finished second in your division, so things were on the up. And you yourself, that was your big breakout year. You had an incredible season. You were actually the the first American League third baseman to have 25 or more home runs, 100 or more RBIs, and at least 25 stolen bases. So for you, what kind of clicked and uh, what, what made the 2001 year such a big year for you? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. It just clicked. Uh, I think it started with TK putting me in the four hole, uh, and it just kind of gave me that confidence. So I, I, I was hitting cleanup, and so I just felt like a different hitter. Uh, and then they put me because I was always kind of up and up in the order. Mm-hmm. I was like one, two, and then you know sometimes hit three, then I'd be in the bottom like six, seven, eight. And then TK put me in the cleanup, and I just I had the best year of my career, and I just felt really really comfortable there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I enjoyed that I enjoyed that part in the order, and um, it just it just clicked. It just felt right. And then the mentality I just had a mentality with the pitcher that if he got me one time, I'm like, all right, you're not going to get me you're not going to get me the next time. Mm-hmm. And so that was that was uh, you know that was that. Then the next year that I kind of had a down year, and this you know Guardy TK quit as a manager because we had a run and um, he just couldn't stop. We felt we just fell off the map, and so he retired. And then Guardy took over, and then you know I have a, the best year of my career. And then he came in, and then I'm, he put me in, and I'm batting six. And I just, I had, you know, I just, I had trouble shaking that. I just, you know, he put Ortiz in the fourth hole. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, based off of the numbers, you know, Ortiz is, or, you know, you say, everybody sees what Ortiz did. Uh, and he's really, you know, that, that hitter. And so, uh, but it just, it kind of shook me a little bit. Where everything else stayed the same, basically. And Ortiz was like Ortiz was batting fifth, and I was batting fourth. Mm-hmm. And it just it was like it was a good fit uh, for me. And Ortiz had a good year. And then you know they threw Ortiz in the four hole, and me in the six hole. And I just you know just I just didn't feel comfortable down there. Mm-hmm. And and then I got moved back up the four because Ortiz really kind of struggled that year. Uh, so I just. You know, to kind of let that that change. The question. Um, so you're bringing up David Ortiz, and uh, so you got to play a couple of years with David uh, when he when he was uh, just first breaking into the league. But um, when he left Minnesota to go to Boston, did you or a couple other guys on the team kind of think like, you know what, I think this guy could be a superstar one day. This might be a big mistake that we let this guy go. Or um, when you guys saw him winning these World Series and becoming a Hall of Fame talent, was that kind of like, wow, we didn't expect that uh, that from him? Yeah. So when when Dave left, Dave was pretty upset because Minnesota was the only team he really knew, uh, and I just 
deep down, I just, I, and I told him, was at his wedding and he was upset. And I, and I told him, I said, you know, I was like, Davey, man, I said, this is going to be the best thing that ever happens for you. Because he's had trouble with TK, you know, style of hitting, and they kind of they try to put him into a a box of what kind of player that he needed to be, and he needed to hit the Twins' way. And then he got to um, he got to Boston, and he, he started hanging with like Manny Ramirez, mm-hmm. and he saw how hard Manny worked, and yeah, so you know Manny taught him you know, a lot of. Uh, you know how to work and what it takes to be a superstar and what it ter- takes to be a great hitter and Matt you know and that's where Davey Davey worked hard but he didn't really work that hard mm-hmm. and so kind of being around a guy like Manny Ramirez on a daily basis really was able to show David how they how if you're going to be a superstar this is the work you need to put in mm-hmm. um, so when David Ortiz retired um, I thought it was pretty cool how you were there for his last game in Minnesota. And um, I've heard some stories about how you were a bit of a, a prankster in the locker room and one of your most famous ones involved, of course, Big Poppy himself. So maybe uh, talk a little bit about that famous uh, prank you pulled on him. And uh, what was the gift that you, Torrey Hunter, and Latroy Hawkins gave David Ortiz in his last game against the Twins a couple years ago? Yeah, so we, um, so yeah, so basically, I don't know what Davey did. Uh, but for whatever reason, uh, I grabbed a handful of uh, peanut butter and threw it in his underwear. And I don't know if he was playing it or what. I just don't understand how he could put on this underwear and not see <laughs> this big blob of peanut butter in there. So he put on this peanut butter, and he started walking out. Uh, and then you know, or, T- or Tori said something to him. And... He, you know, he stopped in the middle of the of the, the our locker room and pulled on his pants. And he started swearing. His peanut butter is kind of j- dripping out of his uh, out of his genitalia area, <laughs> and everybody's just laughing. And and it was it was it was it was a good time. And, and but anyway, so yeah, so when he retired, came through it. We gave him a kind of a thing of uh, chunky peanut butter. I don't know if he was. Uh, excited about it or, or, or what, but we kind of, uh, Hormel has a uh, Skippy peanut butter brand. And so they put a, a, a label, a private label type of deal for Ortiz's uh, peanut butter deal. Well, what do you, what do you get a guy that's made that much money in his career? You got to be a little fun and creative with him. I think that's what you guys did. So that was, I got a good yeah. kick out of it. I don't know if he did, but I got a good kick out of it. So whatever. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, so yeah, in your time with the Twins, outside of David Ortiz, you played with a lot of very talented players. Um, Tory, Tory Hunter, uh, Justin Morneau, Johan Santana, and you guys made the playoffs a couple years in a row as well. So what are some of your favorite mom- uh, memories from those teams that made uh, made a couple of runs to the playoffs? Uh, yeah, you know, I think I, re- you know, I already shared it. This is basically you know, with the, winning the LD- ALDS and moving on in the series and you know, anytime you can clinch, it's just it's just really fun to clinch. Mm-hmm. Um, and then playing in Yankee Stadium in the playoffs is, is a pretty special experience. Um, and I still wish that ball I hit down the line against Mariano Rivera, you know, like I think it was the top of the eighth inning or top of the ninth inning, I can't remember, uh, would have stayed in because we would have scored two runs and we would have been up by one and we would have been up by one going into the ninth inning. Uh, the the bottom of the ninth and Joe Nathan came in and made everybody look silly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, since I bounced out, we can only, we only scored one run and uh, yeah, we would have been up two nothing on the Yankees going into Minnesota. It would have been a complete different series. And that, that's that year there. I thought we were going to win the world series. I really did. That was the 2004 uh, team, right? And uh, yeah, I just couldn't, yeah, I just um, yeah we we didn't. I was, was super bummed, super bummed. That was two thousand four, yeah. Because mm-hmm. I think that was the year Johan Santana. He was a solidified himself as a strong ace in the league as yeah, well. Yeah, Cy Young. He just there's three guys. The three there's three guys who I really enjoyed playing behind. Uh, one of them was Brad Rackey. That's probably one of my favorite guys to play behind. 
the other one would have been Johan Santana, uh, another guy. Just really uh, fun to play behind. And then uh, uh, Roy Holiday mm-hmm. is the third guy. You know, these are the top three guys that, that as a defender, mm-hmm. playing behind these guys is uh, it's it's something special because they get the ball, and if you make a mistake, if you make a mistake behind uh, behind them. Uh, they're like no problem I, I got him you know I got this like where other guys would get all flustered and be mad at the defense behind them and blame every everybody else but these guys they're like hey no problem I'll get you another ground ball here because mm-hmm. they just they exuded the confidence in me like I made it, like I remember one time I made a I made an error behind Johan and uh, it was kind of in a crucial situation and Johan he comes he's, he's like hey Kaki no problem no problem he's going hey I'll throw this next inside and going to hit another ground ball to you you know, and so it's just like this stuff like that. This really pick, you know, would pick you up, and you because you're flustered, you're fr- frustrated, and uh, and just pl- you know, playing behind guys like that was just it was just really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad you brought him up actually, because uh, with you playing your whole career in the American League, and then of course after that 04 team, um, 04 round with the Twins, you signed with the Blue Jays. I'll, I'll talk more about that, but uh, Roy Holiday. So we got the. The terrible news what happened is a tragic passing um do you have any favorite memories of whether it's playing against him or that one season you did get to play with him yeah well it was always when i was with the twins and he was with the um blue jays <laughs> it was never fun to face him because he had like six different pitches and he threw them all for strikes and he was such a competitor and um i remember when i first came over to uh, from I signed with the Blue Jays for spring training, and we're doing, we're warming up, and we're doing this hop, skip, jump kind of deal. Mm-hmm. And he could not do it. And everybody was laughing at him, and he was getting like super mad. <laughs> and I remember I get into the ballpark the next day early. He was in the training room practicing this hop skip jump thing so he could do it the next time wow and so <laughs> that's what kind of that's what kind of guy that's basically what kind of guy he was mm-hmm. yeah it says a lot about his work ethic obviously um so again after the 2004 season with the twins you signed with the canadian team the blue jays um did you almost go back to the twins and what was your reason for signing with the blue jays the decision was pretty easy because the twins they didn't they they didn't really they didn't want me uh they thought my days were were, were numbered mm-hmm. and so they they you know they signed me they they offered me a really below market contract kind of a token um just a token um offer could say to say that they, they uh offered me something and you know, and the Blue Jays' offer was significantly, significantly better than theirs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but then I also had the Dodgers, who were on the verge of losing Adrian Beltre, and so they're kind of going back and forth. And the Dodgers' offer was way better than the Blue Jays. And then I'm like, you know what? The Blue Jays. I grew up watching the Blue Jays. I've always wanted to play the. Well, the Blue Jays, somebody's going to side with the Blue Jays. Mm-hmm. So I took less money and I got signed with the Blue Jays. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know your time with the team didn't go as you had hoped. Um, I, I saw some interviews that you've, you've done. Um, but what, what, as a Canadian kid, what's that feeling like pulling on a Blue Jays uniform? There's not too many Canadians I can say that they've done that. I mean, there's been Brett Laurie, there's been Matt Stairs. Uh, I'm sure there's been a couple others. But what's that feeling like being Canadian, pulling over that Blue Jays jersey? Well, there's two two times in my life that I felt like this. When I was playing hockey, I was playing for the Oakland Oak Bank Winterhawks, and I had a dream of playing for the Eastman Selects, which, which was our Manitoba Midget, uh, was they were the, our Triple Eight team, um, and. I wanted to play for them so bad, and that was my dream. Then I went and played played for them, and 
it wasn't as cool as I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. And there had these issues. Uh, it, just, it was just full drama. It just it just wasn't what I thought it would be. Well, I signed with the Jays, and that was my dream to play for the Toronto Blue Jays, and it'd be so cool to put on the Blue Jays um, jersey. And then you know I get there, everything's all it's cool. Uh, then I played with them, and then it just wasn't what I expected to be. What are the reasons for that? Do you think? Well, you know, a couple, a couple things. First of all, I was there's a certain style of play that I was accustomed to, and where you run out every ball, and you'd go after every ball, and you'd play hard and. You'd look for opportunities to, to advance on bases, and uh, and that just wasn't there's you know there's guys would wouldn't run out you know leaders and the guys who've been there for you know eight nine years would just dog and they wouldn't they, like they wouldn't go for early hitting and it just was kind of a different kind of culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I would go then we'd have a game and we'd lose to the Yankees. And they would play New York, New York after we lost to the Yankees. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Because when, when you're in New York and the Yankees beat you, they play New York, New York. And I'm mm-hmm. like, why are we playing New York, New York in uh, our home stadium when we're like, when do we lose? Mm-hmm. Like, stuff like that is driving me nuts. Or we're playing against Boston. And the whole game, it's uh, Tourism Boston advertisements. Mm. And I was like, come on, guys. Like, I, I, just, I just had a lot of trouble with that kind of stuff. Yeah. So after the season, you, you weren't too happy with how it went. Did you let it make it known to them that you wanted to get traded? Or when they made the... No. No? No, uh, no it was... You know, I just played. I just I would, would get frustrated with that stuff. Uh, and I, you know, we uh, they had their, you know, and their their GM would be in another locker room. It was just different. And I would throw stuff at the guy. You know, this is kind of different. Mm-hmm. And I think they had me over to kind of hopefully change the potential culture. Um, and you know, and then I broke my thumb, and I just I couldn't get off. I just couldn't get to the point where I needed to get to to get comfortable to actually do stuff up there. Mm-hmm. And I had an off year there, and I was just really frustrated. So, you know, I was going into the off season, and I'm like, okay, you know what? I reevaluated, and I'm like, okay, I, I was really prepared to have a really good year for the following year because I just – I tried to do too much. I tried to replace uh, – tried to do too much what Carlos Delgado did. Um, and so I kind of had a plan in place. For the uh, the following year for the Blue Jays, mm-hmm. and then they traded me, and I was really disappointed that I got traded uh, because I just I felt like I just didn't do enough with the Blue Jays. Mm-hmm. I you know I felt I felt like I owed them something because I didn't I didn't perform at the level that I expected to do. Right. Uh, and so I just I felt like I just left it on. I just left it untapped. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, I was on the... Uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. And so, but when I got traded to the Brewers, uh, you know, there's just a, a good young nucleus of guys. And, you know, I just started, it was just stuck because when I got hurt with my concussion, mm-hmm. uh, I just started to really feel like... Like, my course of my year, I usually would start off pretty slow. Well, I'd start off pretty well. And then I would slow down, and then I would really start to heat up for July, August, and September, it kind of was, and I just started, I started kind of, I would kind of get my groove on a little bit, and usually just before All-Star, but I would just really start to get my groove on, mm-hmm. um, and it started really, you know, when I got traded to the Blue Jays, I wasn't their everyday third baseman, uh, I was splitting time with Billy Hall, and I wasn't playing against lefties, and I just started to really kind of get my, I started to play more frequently, I was just, you know, I was starting to get my groove on, and I just was starting, and I was kind of ready to explode because I loved playing in Milwaukee, and the park was really hitter friendly, and I just, it just really started to click, and then I, I fell and 
you know, that whole deal and two and a half years of dealing with that concussion just sucked. Mm-hmm. Well, I feel where, where we are with concussion knowledge and research now is just so far ahead than what, what it was only just 10 years ago when you were playing and when you suffered your concussion. Because um, can you take us, play the, the, take us through the moment where you did get your concussion? Because like, you, you didn't hit your head, did you? So I, I was reading some interviews and you were saying that lots of your doctors just kind of brushed it off like, oh, you'll, you'll be fine in a couple of days, no big deal. And that lots of them didn't even know what to do with you because this was kind of such a unique situation. So you can talk a little bit about, about the play where it happened and the, the kind of what followed after that. Yeah, you know, it just it just sucks because now I think I probably would have been, would still play because they would understand it uh, a lot better, mm-hmm. um, and they would have been able to recognize it and kind of do this. And because the reason I, you know my concussion didn't get better was because I basically got hurt, sat out for a, a week, week and a half, got to the point where I was feeling 100 percent normal, and then I went right back in to try to play again. Mm-hmm. Uh, versus kind of a slow grade of protocol, return to play protocol that's managed by a trainer. Mm-hmm. And so I would have did the slow grade protocol. I would have basically, now what would have happened is I would have probably missed another week, and then I would have played again. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this happened in 2006, that concussion with the Brewers. Um, and also, it sounds like for two and a half years, you weren't, you, you just didn't feel uh, normal. But in 2009, you tried to make a comeback with the Cubs. Um, this is coming after the World Baseball Classic that you were in as well. Um, stepping back on the field in the bigs, or the training camp at least, after uh, all this concussion problem, was it kind of hard to forget about that stuff and just focus on playing baseball? And is that kind of the reason why you, you eventually decided just to retire? Or yeah. was the process yeah, through well, that? Yeah, well, well in my mind, I, I did come back. Uh, because by you know I was able to come back to life. You know I come back to play again. Uh, the World Baseball Classic uh, was a really tough one for me. Uh, left a really bad taste in my mouth because uh, I had to. Uh, I basically had to beg to play on that team. Mm-hmm. And the only reason I was able to play on that team is because Morneau, who was with the twins at the time saw me and he, he called them and said hey look he's you know he, he's ready to go he can you know he, and so they they wanted nothing to do with me and I just and so you know I went down there they had me on the team uh, and I had an offer to go with the Cubs to play with the Cubs and so but I'm like you know what I want to play for my country mm-hmm. and and so this is kind of potentially could hurt my chances of kind of making my uh, my return back to the big leagues. And so I talked to Ernie Witt at the time, and I'm like, you know, basically, you know, you know, I want a chance. I want a chance to earn earn myself a spot of playing time. And if you're going to tell me that you're going to play the best, the top 12 guys on that team, um, and you're going to have the best guys out there playing, I'm, I'll play for Team Canada because I, I'm i feeling really good right now, mm-hmm. and I feel like I can hit. I feel like I'm productive, and I feel, you know, some of the best that I've felt in a long, long time. Um, and so, I, and they're like, yeah, and they basically said, yeah, that's, we're going to play, you know, yeah, we're going to play the best 12 guys. Um, and so I went there and I, the first game I played, I think I was like four for five mm-hmm. and the next game, I, the next game we, because they had a three game series, the next game I played, uh, I was, I think I was over, over three, I think, but I hit two absolute missiles, mm-hmm. uh, I hit three. Actually, I hit all three balls. I hit really hard, and so and then then they just pulled me out. They said, "Corey, you want?" And I'm like, "Yeah, you know what? I I, I haven't played in X amount of years. Uh, sure, you can pull me out. You know, give my le- le- my legs a little little rest. Um, and you know, I'm feeling good. And then 
the next day we're in Tampa. I didn't start. I'm like, oh, you know, it's kind of okay. This is kind of weird, but whatever. And then I came in and pinch hit, and I hit like a missile off of, I can't remember who it was, and lined out to second base. And I'm like, you know, I just felt great. And then they're like, well, Corey, we're not going to start you, but you're going to be our first hitter off the bench or whatever. Um, and so I was like, okay. And, you know, I was the only guy who didn't get any time to uh, – during that, during the World Baseball Classic. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so it was, it was frustrating for me because you know it was like you know what they told me. Like there was a situation we came up where we're playing against the uh, U.S. We're playing we're gonna playing against Team USA. Jake Peavy is starting, and it was like the fifth, sixth inning, and. Um, the kid who was, who was, so they had a, a kid playing left field. He was played double A baseball for, for the, uh, or he's playing like high A. He played high A baseball for the Cleveland Indians. I can't remember what the kid's name was. He was playing left field. And then I, I and then they had a Mark Tian or somebody coming who was playing third base. Mm-hmm. And, and there was a situation where the bases loaded with one out. And it was like, and they, and they were, we were down by one run, I think, at the time. And it was the perfect situation. Like, when TK was managing, like, my first two years in the big leagues, uh, like, I had to understand the context of a, of a game to know when I needed to be ready to pinch hit. Because TK, like, you had to, you know, you stayed ahead, you prepared yourself to hit because, okay, you look down, line up, okay, you know what, here, here. If, if there's a, is a crucial, crucial situation and and Guzzi's up, I'm going to pitch in for Guzzi. Mm-hmm. Or so-and-so is going to pinch in for Guzzi. Some, somebody's going to uh, pitch in for Guzzi. And so, you know, I kind of looked through our lineup because that's what I did my first two years in the big league, uh, or two half years in the big league. I looked and said, okay, if there's a situation uh, situation and we are X, Y, Z in this situation, and it's late in the game, and this kid is up in this situation, this is where I'm going to pinch hit. And so I saw that, I saw that situation uh, come, you know, playing out in front of my eyes. Mm-hmm. And it came up. We had bases loaded, one out, down by one, in like the bottom of the seventh or something like that. And I'm like, this is my spot. And I was ready to hit, and he hit the guy. And, and and you know the guy hit you know the kid hit a broken bad base hit a broken bad ball to Jake Peavy that he threw you know double play mm-hmm. and so you know was that was frustrating for me because this is what you know this is what you have me for for this situation this is yeah. what you told me you brought me in for was this situation mm-hmm. and you didn't use me in that situation and the excuse he gave me after was. Well, you know what? This kid was in our on our Olympic team, and he he performed in pressure situations on our Olympic team, and we're playing against the Chinese national team or blah blah a Japanese team. I'm like, I was like, dude, playing in the Olympic stadium and playing and 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 facing Jake Peavy with forty six thousand fans with the bases loaded is a complete different <laughs> scenario. Yeah, just a little. Uh, you know, so yeah, so it was fresh. So they came, they came up after the, they came up after the uh, the, the World Baseball, and they apologized to me. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was like, dude, I was like, you don't need to apologize to me. You need to apologize to every kid in here who sacrificed their chances of making the big leagues because they want to put on the the uniform for their 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 country, and. We, we didn't give our best chance. We didn't give our best chance. You didn't. Yeah. So I was. So I was kind of a. I was frustrated about that. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, it's too bad the 2009 World Baseball Classic wasn't a, a pause of memory. But before I let you go, I, I would like to really talk about the 2006 Team Canada performance of the World Baseball Classic. Um, you guys finished. Unfortunately, you guys didn't make it to the pool, even though you were two and one. But the highlight of that uh, tournament was, of course. 
again, a game against the Americans where you guys actually won eight to six. Uh, maybe talk a little bit about that game and uh, what that was like to pull off such a big, big victory over an American side that had guys like Ken Griffey, Derek Jeter, Alex Rodriguez, Johnny Damon, just a star stud lineup. And yet here's this bunch of Canadian guys and they knocked them off eight to six. So what was that moment like? Yeah, you know what? It's it just, uh, uh, you know, a very simple principle in athletics is he who wants it more has a better chance of getting it. And, you know, we had a weird bunch of, bunch of hungry guys who had no egos and wanted to play. And, you know, they had a bunch of, you know, superstars. Mm-hmm. And so that was, you know, that was the difference. You know, they had a bunch of superstars who were just playing and had nothing really to prove. And we had, you know, we had everything to prove. Mm-hmm. So we were able to beat them. You guys were even up eight to nothing at one point. And then, I mean, they scored six runs in the fifth inning to make it a little closer, but you guys weren't even just beating them. You guys were giving them a beat down. So that was a, uh, I actually remember watching this game as a kid too. That was um, probably one of my favorite moments as a, as a Canadian baseball fan. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. Well, too, you know, they had their lineup was ridiculous, and we didn't have that strong pitching. Yeah. <laughs> well, one game didn't matter though. Um, yeah. Uh, and then, of course, we have to touch on um, some of your experiences through through Hall of Fames. I mean, not only are you in our Hall of Fame, the Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame, you're in the the Manitoba Baseball Hall of Fame, of course. But of course, you're also in the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame, and I feel the the class that you got inducted with. But the Canadian baseball fame is one of the best maybe they've ever had. Carlos Delgado, Matt Stairs, Felipe Alou, Bob Elliott. This was in 2015. So what was that experience like getting inducted into the Canadian uh, baseball fame? And then, of course, with such a star-studded uh, uh, cast as well. Yeah, you know what? That was, for me, it was just really cool to spend three days uh, with those guys and hear their stories and Felipe's stories. Uh, you know, everything he had to overcome to play baseball, it just, I wish I could have had a tape recorder mm-hmm. and just listened or, and just recorded it and or video and just be able to capture it because it was just such a special time uh, for me. Just to, like, these, it's just really cool stories. Uh, and to be a part of that was just, was just awesome. Mm-hmm. And then let's touch a little bit about your induction in our Hall of Fame. So, so in 2013, you came home for the induction. Um, so what was that like? And then also, what's it like seeing things like the Elmwood Giants field being named Koski Field? The, the, the Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame was, was, was cool because you look at the, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, with a group of people who, uh, who I got inducted with there, just being a part of that evening. Uh, you know, it was just, it was a first class event, and just hearing the story, it's just to me, it's just really cool to hear stories and because everybody has a, has a story, mm-hmm. and how they got to kind of the top of their uh, their world, and just to hear the stories of these athletes during the time. But you know, Amanda told one, you know, you had like seven minutes of talk, and uh, I can't remember the guy's name who spoke before him, but he was like uh, was a big ping pong guy, and it just you know, it was just cool to hear his story. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but then, you know, the whole Koski field thing, you know, it was, you know, it was, it was a little different because, you know, I was playing, you know, they did it when I was playing. And so I didn't really, I wasn't really involved uh, in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, but, it, you know, I, we went there, you know, I took my kids there, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of cool. And, you know, it's, you know, hopefully, you know, the, the tough thing about baseball is in, in, Canada is the season is so short mm-hmm. and it's just tough. You got a lot of competition to, to play to, for, for summer, for, for summer stuff. That's a wrap on episode 12 featuring Corey Kosky. Now I've always found it fascinating how a guy from a small Manitoba town made it all the way to the big leagues. Like the chance of that actually happening is like one in a billion, but somehow Corey defied the odds and made it happen. 
It wasn't like he just played a couple of games either. Like he played nine Major League Baseball seasons, which is absolutely incredible. So, Corey, big thanks to you for taking the time out of your busy schedule to talk all about your incredible career. I really appreciate it. But that interview would not have been possible if it wasn't for my good friend, Jess Coral. So Jess is good family friends with Corey's, and she set that interview up. So Jess, if you're listening, thank you so much for making that happen. And also I got to thank the Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame because without them, this entire podcast series would not happen. So big thanks to them. And if you guys want to repay them yourself so you can do so by checking out their incredible museum located inside the Sports Life Center building at 145 Pacific Avenue. I also want to thank the Winnipeg Free Press for our weekly series called Hall Call. So every week I write a story about that week's guest from the podcast and it gets published in the Saturday edition of the Winnipeg Free Press. So if you don't already, subscribe to the Winnipeg Free Press. That way you won't miss out on those articles every Saturday. And a couple things before I head out here. Our website, hofpodcast.ca. Check it out. You'll find all of our past content on there. You'll find our Twitter handle and our Facebook page and so much more. So again, hofpodcast.ca. And finally iTunes. Do not forget to subscribe on iTunes. That way you'll never miss an episode of the Manitoba Sports Hall of Fame podcast. So go on iTunes, type in HOF podcast. will be the first one to pop up. Click subscribe and give us a five-star rating too while you're at it. I would greatly appreciate it. Okay, so that does it for episode 12 featuring Corey Kosky. And make sure you come back again next week as I talk with three-time Great Cup champion and Winnipeg Blue Bombers legendary receiver, James Murphy. Have a good week and see you next time on the Mantle of Sports Hall of Fame podcast. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and check out our website, hofpodcast.ca.